Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here again. Oh, that'll hold. There we go. Imagine watching your child suffer from malaria. It's one of the biggest killers of children across the world. Symptoms include high fever, sweating, vomiting, and convulsions. But it's okay, you think, because you bought some anti-malaria drugs at the local market. Now imagine what it must be like to see your child die anyway because the drugs you bought were counterfeit. The global trade in counterfeit drugs is more than a billion dollars a year. More than 120,000 people a year die in Africa alone as a result of counterfeit anti-malaria drugs alone, according to the WHO. It's a big problem. People can die from counterfeit drugs. But there's an even bigger problem out there. It's counterfeit spirituality. Dave Johnson mentioned this a few weeks ago. I want to flesh this out a little more. That Satan in the end times will put together a fake trinity, a counterfeit trinity. Satan puts himself up as God. That's what he did way back when that got him kicked out of heaven. He wanted to be like God. Satan wants to be the God figure, the Antichrist wants to be the Christ figure. Anti means opposite. He's opposite the Christ, but that doesn't mean he's opposite in every characteristic. It's like he stands opposite. He's an alternative to Christ. He's the counterfeit Christ. The false prophet tells people to worship the Antichrist. He directs people, guides them toward the Antichrist in a very similar way to the Holy Spirit, directing people to worship Christ and guiding them toward Christ. But not only that, the Antichrist and the Christ each have a bride. The Antichrist has a counterfeit bride, Babylon. The real Christ has a true bride, the New Jerusalem. Now, hang on here. I thought the church was the bride of Christ, isn't it? But in the book of Revelation, the New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Well, how does this work? We're going to look ahead just a little bit to Revelation chapter 21 about the New Jerusalem. And we read there that it had 12 gates. And on those gates are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. That's telling us that Israel is one of the inhabitants of the New Jerusalem and saved Israel. The ones who truly believed in Jesus, before he died, they looked forward to the cross, and they were saved through the blood of the cross, looking in anticipation. And further, the city has 12 foundation stones, and on these foundation stones are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And that's telling us that these are representatives of the church. That's telling us the church is part of the New Jerusalem. So, 
yes, in this age, which is called the church age, ever since the day of Pentecost, all believers in this age are part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. But in the end times, in the eternal state to come, that group will be expanded. It will be the New Jerusalem, an actual city, but the inhabitants of that city will be all of those who have believed on Christ through all time, exemplified, uh, represented by Israel and by the church, but also those who come to Christ during the tribulation. They will all be there as part of Christ's bride, the New Jerusalem. Now, John stresses this even further. If we look at the wording of chapter 17, which was last week, and chapter 21. Chapter 17, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. Revelation 21.9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. It's almost the same words. And then it goes on, 17.3, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. We saw that last week. Chapter 21, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. John is drawing our attention to these two and contrasting them by the wording he uses. The counterfeit bride, who's not a bride at all, She's a prostitute and the true bride. Now, we are in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. Um, just to give a, a bit of an overview, chapter 15 and 16 were the bowl judgments. The last bowl, the seventh bowl, at the end of chapter 16, declared the judgment on Babylon. And then 17 and 18 go into a lot of details about Babylon and um, how the Babylon is related to the beast in chapter 17 that we heard Chris speak last week, and then this week, the fall of Babylon. And it continues even slightly into Revelation chapter 19, where there's praise in heaven for the fall of Babylon. The outline of chapter 18... Um, there's three main sections introduced, each one by a different voice or angel from heaven. First, judgment is proclaimed, and then there's the, the reasons and the results of judgment, and then there's an illustration of judgment on Babylon. Now, there is a question of what is this city Babylon? Uh, Chris last week seemed to think it's the literal Babylon, come back, and that's possible. Some scholars take that view. I'm a little skeptical. Because as, as we will see in chapter 18, it's a major seaport. And Babylon is on the Euphrates. You can get ships up there, but you can't get major tankers up the Euphrates. Um, you could say, well, maybe they have control over Basra or Kuwait, but that's pretty far away from Babylon. So it's possible it's Babylon, but I'm skeptical. Many throughout history have thought that uh, this Babylon at the end times is Rome, 
The reformers thought that. They were leaving the Church of Rome, and they were convinced it was Rome. Um, that might be correct, but I'm not convinced of that either. Some say it's Jerusalem. I find that a little more interesting and persuasive. Um, but I don't think we can say for sure what this Babylon is in the end times. So I think it's about as hard to say which one this is as it is to say who the 666 is. So I think it's, it's better just to say there's some city that's going to be the center of world commerce, the center of world religion, and this will dominate the world in the end times. We don't know what it is. Could be something like New York City. I don't know. But there will be some city coming that will be the dominant city over the whole world. So this is all in the future. If we're believers, we're not going to be there. If you followed this series, you know we'll be taken up in the rapture. We'll be watching all this from heaven. We won't be part of this group that, gets, uh, that experiences the judgment. So what's this say to us today? Let's look at what John himself says in one of his letters about the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ. He says that there's an Antichrist coming. That's the one in the future that we read about during the tribulation. But he says even now many Antichrists have appeared. He says there's this Antichrist coming. You've heard it's coming. But the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world today. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a similar thing about Babylon. I want to suggest that many Babylons have already come. And the, the text itself seems to imply that by the, the quotes and the references it uses from the Old Testament. Here's just a list. I'm not going to go through in chapter 18 and show where every reference comes from because there's way too many. But in chapter 18, it uses all of these references to Old Testament destructions. The historical destruction of Babylon in 539 B.C. The fall of Tyre. There's a lot of references to the fall of Tyre, which was 572 B.C. And that's applied to the Babylon of the end times. There's the fall of Nineveh, which was 614 B.C. That's applied to this in chapter 18 to the fall of Babylon. There's the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., fall of Sodom, which was about 1900 B.C., and the fall of Edom, and I'm not sure exactly when that one was. There's different opinions by the scholars, so I just left a question mark. But all of these shared the characteristics of the Babylon of the end times. All of these were judged for the same things Babylon will be judged for. In a sense, these are all Babylons who came earlier. These are precursor Babylons to the final Babylon. So I want to suggest that many Babylons have already come. And I also want to suggest that the spirit of Babylon is already here. It's been here since the fall of Satan. It was, it was even there in the garden because there was a snake who embodied the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon has been here and is here today. So as we, let's keep these things in mind as we look at chapter 18. So let's take a look. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. 
This is the first section, judgment is proclaimed. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated from his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of sexual immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich from the excessive wealth of her luxury. So this angel is proclaiming what's about to happen. He's proclaiming that this Babylon is going to be an uninhabited ghost town. But a little more than that, at the core, it's demonic. It's inhabited by demons. It goes almost overnight from the most prosperous city in the world to a ghost town. Could something like this happen today? Take a look at Ukraine. There are cities there that have turned into ghost towns almost overnight. And there's two reasons given here in verse 3 for the judgment. There's immorality. And the Greek word there is a version of porneia, or porneus, where we get the word porn. There's immorality, which in the symbolism of chapter 17 and 18 means idolatry. Man is supposed to be true to God, the true God, and, he, and stick to him alone. Man has gone off into idolatry, and all over the Old Testament, this is pictured as immorality is going off with other lovers, not sticking with the God who created you. So there's immorality, and then there's the excessive wealth of luxury. Do we see the spirits of those today? The spirit of idolatry, following other gods, trusting things other than God himself? Do we see people trusting in anything other than God, in their investments, Stock market could crash again. You know, people think that since the crash in the 1930s, it's fixed. It's not going to crash. Well, it could. People trust in their career. Well, you, you don't have full control over your career. You don't know what's going to happen to your company and to the industry. People trust in physical strength. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You could be injured and, and lose your physical strength. All of these things can be idolatry. We need to trust in God only. And then the second charge here is the excessive wealth of luxury. Materialism is all around us. We, we see, sometimes we see billionaires doing silly things with their money. If you've watched the news almost every week, either Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg is in the news doing something that catches everybody's attention. The excessive wealth of luxury. Is wealth sinful? No, not necessarily, unless we make it our God. If we have wealth, whatever wealth we have, and, and all of us here are much more wealthy than most of the world, but if we have wealth, we need to hold it lightly, treat it as we are God's steward of that wealth. But these guys aren't doing that. They don't see 
any need for God, they trust only in Babylon, their wonderful city. And there's three groups here in verse 3. There's the nations, there's the kings, and there's the merchants. And that pretty much encompasses the entire world. The entire world is behaving in this way. So Babylon is going to be judged. So what are the reasons and the results of that judgment? First, there's a call for the righteous to flee. Verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive any of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her offenses. Well, this is interesting. There's still some believers in Babylon. God is calling them out. There's still some who have managed to survive somehow. This Babylon is, as we saw last week, it's going to be a religious center. And we'll see this week the commercial side. It's a religious and commercial center combined. And it it's, fits very well with what we see about the mark of the beast. Those who take the mark of the beast are the only ones who can trade. They're the only, only ones who can engage in commerce. And there's something about taking the mark of the beast. There's a clear... Um, denial of Christ and a clear acceptance of other gods. So it's a religious economic thing together, whatever this mark of the beast is. And we see the same thing here in Babylon. That's the basis of it, religious and economic together. Now why are they called to leave? Look at verse 4. So that they don't participate in her sins and so they don't receive the plagues that are coming for her. You know, it's interesting, believers are sometimes told to flee judgment. But it doesn't seem to me that it's very often. We see this where Lot was told to flee Sodom. And there was a danger of getting too fond of the, the system. And Lot's wife fell for that, and she stayed. She didn't flee when told to. But... Other places, I was struck when we taught through uh, chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches that are under persecution, and you've even got people being killed and martyred. Nowhere does Jesus tell them to flee. Nowhere does he tell them to move to another location, go to another church where it's safer. It's, it's rare that God tells them to flee, and it's only when he's about to bring judgment um, that he tells them to flee. What's this mean for us today? We can't really flee physically the spirit of Babylon. It's all around us in the world. But we can escape it in our thinking. We can avoid it. We can beware the counterfeit thinking that this spirit of Babylon gives us. We can avoid falling for the materialism that's all around us. And uh, verse 5 is interesting. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven. The word there for piled up would be better rendered joined together or glued together. Her sins have come together. It's kind of an allusion to the Tower of Babel back in the Old Testament where they built a tower and stuck it all together, all the bricks, and tried to build it up to heaven. And God is saying the sins of the future Babylon are like these bricks extending up to heaven. 
So then we hear a call uh, for retribution. Verse 6, pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the extent that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, to the same extent give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see mourning. For this reason in one day her plagues will come, plague and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. So God is calling for retribution against Babylon. He's calling for her to be paid back for what she did. Who is he calling to do this? Who's going to enact this retribution? Well, it's very interesting. If we look back at last week's, at the end of uh, chapter 17 from last week, we read about ten horns, which were ten kings. These ten kings got together, gave their power to the beast, to the Antichrist. They all joined together in a coalition. And the ten horns, which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the prostitute and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So what has happened is the beast, the one that brought Babylon to power, the one that brought this prostitute, this counterfeit bride, to power, made her the most powerful city on earth, is now turning against her and destroying her. And as Chris mentioned last week, that is likely because the Antichrist just doesn't like competition. He has the same spirit in him of greed and of selfishness. He wants to be the boss and not share his power with others. And it shows what an apt image this is to use a prostitute for the counterfeit bride. The true bride of Christ, Christ has has made a a deep commitment to her. He's died for her. He's given his life for the bride. The Antichrist has not made any commitment to this prostitute. He's just using this prostitute for what he can get, and then when he's done, he's done with her. So Babylon is just something that the Antichrist is using for his own agenda. Let's look back at our text. Verse 7, there are a number of accusations against Babylon. Self-glorification is glorifying herself. There's satisfaction in luxurious living. That's all she needs. She doesn't need God. She doesn't need other things. She's, she needs just luxury. There's pride and boastfulness. I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. There's overconfidence. I'll never see mourning. And the judgment addresses all of these things. The one who'd never see mourning, she's going to mourn. The one who was the queen, she's going to meet famine and torment. Do we see the spirit of these things today in the world? 
self-glorification, satisfaction with our state in life, with a luxurious living, pride, boastfulness, overconfidence. I think we clearly see this. The spirit of Babylon is here today, and it offers a counterfeit security. It's not a real security. It's counterfeit. Beware the counterfeits. So, as a result of the judgment of Babylon, the world is going to lament. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of sexual immorality and live luxuriously with her will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And what's really interesting, we just saw the end of chapter 17. Ten of these kings who are mourning were involved in destroying her with the Antichrist. And now they're mourning over what has happened. I think Satan's system is a bit dysfunctional. And it, it doesn't work well. And this is the best he can do. This is his end time counterfeit trinity. And it's not working. There's two charges here. Um, the kings of the earth have committed fornication. That means idolatry. And they've been enriched by luxury. What do these kings care about? Do they care about Babylon? Do they come to her aid? No. They care only about themselves. Does the Antichrist care about Babylon? No, he cares about himself. And I think we see this spirit today, too, the spirit of selfishness all around us in the world. It's the spirit of Babylon and the spirit of Satan's whole counterfeit system. It's just based on selfishness. The judgment will be one hour. It's a metaphor for very quick. It's going to happen quickly, kind of like what we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine. And then the merchants lament. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every article of ivory, every article made from very valuable wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, cargo of horses, carriages, slaves, and human lives. So all these luxury goods is what the merchants are trading in. They're also trading in slavery and human lives, which is very interesting. Um, I don't know if that means like domestic servants that you hire or if it's an actual return to slavery in the end times. But people live for these things People today live for these things. People sell their souls to earn money to buy these things. It's all about pleasing yourself, living for self. None of these things last. They're all temporary. This is the spirit of Babylon, the counterfeit bride. Beware counterfeits. And the passage goes on. The fruit you longed for has left you. And all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and people will no longer find them. The merchants of these things, 
who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. That first phrase, the fruit you long for, it's literally the fruit of the lust of your soul. It reminds us of John, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Why are they weeping? Do they really care about Babylon, or do they care about their pocketbooks? And notice, again, they're standing far off. They're not rushing to help the city as the city is burning. Do we see this spirit today? I think we do. My, um, my dad did a big study on commerce throughout Scripture. And I need to dig that up and look through it. I wasn't able to get to it uh, before this sermon. But one thing that dad decided as he studied commerce all throughout Scripture is there's something tainted about commerce. Clear back from the beginning in Genesis where it starts, commerce has a taint to it. And it might be this spirit of Babylon that we're seeing here is the taint on all of commerce. So this is the, um, the merchants. And then we see the sal- a similar thing with the mariners. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and all who make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich from her prosperity. For in one hour she has been laid waste. So they're reacting very similar to the merchants. They care only about themselves. No true commitment to the city of Babylon. And note that none of these groups have praised God for his justice. None of them have have repented. How would we respond if luxury goods disappeared today? If the stock market crashed, if the earthquakes came and took our homes? We're way overdue for an earthquake here in the Bay Area. What are we trusting for our well-being? Are we trusting our possessions? Or are we trusting God? And then we see a call for God's people to rejoice. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. The blood of the martyrs has finally been avenged. Sin has been judged. And if we're believers, we'll be up in heaven. We'll be one of these saints who are looking down and seeing this and seeing God's judgment. We'll be some of those who are rejoicing. Finally, there's justice. Finally, sin is being judged. The spirit of Babylon that's been here ever since, nearly, almost since the beginning, ever since Satan fell, is going to be judged. The city itself will be judged, the, the real city here in the end times, but the whole spirit, the whole system will be judged as well. 
And then we're given an illustration of this judgment, verse 21. Then a strong angel picked up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and never be found again. And the sound of harpists, musicians, flute players, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. And no craftsman of any craft will be ever found in you again. And the sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. So it's completely destroyed. This future Babylon will be wiped out. And it goes on. And the light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of the groom and the bride will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the powerful people of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your witchcraft. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. Now this is quite interesting. There's something very ironic here. The counterfeit bride, who's not a bride at all, she's a prostitute. The counterfeit bride will be judged so that there are no marriages happening again in her city. That's fitting for this unmarried counterfeit bride. What we see here, some have, have looked at Babylon as an apostate version of Christianity. Um, I think it's a lot more than that because we see they've slaughtered the blood of, uh, slaughtered prophets and saints. It could be an apostate version of Christianity, but I think it's more likely a one world religion, an anti-Christian religion that everybody falls for and um, is strongly anti-Christian. And it says the blood of all who have been slaughtered. That goes all the way back to Abel. This city of Babylon wasn't there then, but the spirit of Babylon was. Clear back in Genesis when Cain killed his brother, the spirit of Babylon was active. It's been in the world ever since the, almost the beginning, since Satan fell. And I don't have it on a slide, but let me read the next few verses um, of chapter 19. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great prostitute who is corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. So there will be praise in heaven when Babylon finally falls. This, this evil city, um, this idolatrous and um, commercial center, there will be praise. So we need to beware counterfeits. Satan has this entire system that will appear in the end times, an entire counterfeit trinity, and a counterfeit bride for his counterfeit Messiah. These are all future and they're real, but the spirit, both of the, the Antichrist and the spirit of Babylon is in the world today. 
The spirit of Babylon tries to get us to worship materialism, tries to get us to spend our time and our energy to earn money, to purchase luxuries that won't satisfy and won't last. This is a counterfeit satisfaction that she's selling us. True satisfaction only is available in Christ, and it's free and it's eternal. As John said, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is this counterfeit spirit of Babylon. We need to beware. And instead, we should have the attitude of Abraham. By faith, he obeyed. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise. Why? He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for the new Jerusalem, the real city, the eternal city, the one that we will all be part of if we know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. A very somber chapter about the judgment of this future Babylon and the world system that we see today. But we thank you, Lord, that righteousness will prevail. We thank you that you will win in the end. And we thank you that you have given us an eternal city that we can be citizens of, we can be part of. In your name, amen.